Bienvenue dans l'Alcove. Aujourd'hui, on reçoit Gildas Awaye. Hi everyone and welcome to our third and final Alcove talk that we're doing in collaboration with the Roundtable on Black History Month. The Roundtable is a non-profit organization that promotes activities highlighting both the history and the contemporary situation of black communities in Quebec. We also want to mention that the awesome space that we're in tonight is graciously offered by Breather. All of us at Alcove love Breather because it truly offers something unique. In their words, they provide an environment that isn't your home, office, or coffee shop where you can really be productive and focus on your work without distraction. Our guest for this evening's talk is Gildas Messan Awiye. Sorry for the <laughs> Awiye. One of, these, uh, one of the three founders of Atelier New Regime, along with Setis Tahiri and Koku Aweyi, these guys have created a streetwear brand styled for the modern man. And Atelier New Regime is committed to redefining the customer experience as we know it. Through the quality of its product, presentation, and lifestyle, ANR pushes the creative envelope, leaving a unique and thought-provoking impression on the consumer. Over time, Atelier New Regime has grown to be more than clothing. The Montreal brand has evolved into an artistic movement run by a collective of creatives whose aim is to express themselves through fashion. Gildas, merci d'avoir accepté d'être avec nous ce soir dans l'Alcove. Okay, so we have a lot of subjects that we want to cover. Uh, we'll probably get to cover half. So we're going to start off with a quick round of questions so that everybody here can get to know you a little bit better. All right. Complete my sentence, please. I was born in? Togo. My siblings' names are? Koku, Kosi, Eme. And they are how old? 31, 30, 26. When I grew up, my parents were? Black. Something I always did as a child and still do to this day. Uh, play soccer. The first pair of shoes I ever bought was? Can't remember. I live in this part of Montreal. LaSalle. The first time I remember being exposed to fashion was? Can't remember since I was a kid. Always been a part of your life. Yeah. My most cherished item of clothing. today? It's tough. I don't have one. <laughs> In CIGEP, I studied? Health science, um, yeah, health science, then administration, then, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I dropped out, but if I had finished and explored other avenues, I might have become? Maybe marketing. All right. This is something most people I meet don't know about me. 23 years old. <laughs> the last time I binge watched a series, it was? Vampire Diaries. Oh. <laughs> Very nice. <laughs> the last time I remember being really embarrassed was? Last question. <laughs> <laughs> When I'm exhausted, I? Sleep. I'm really good at? A lot of things. <laughs> I'm terrible at? Not a lot of things. <laughs> good. If I'm at a bar, I order? Stella. 
I just met someone who's blind. Here is how I would describe the color orange to them. It's warm and it's beautiful. It's the most beautiful color. <laughs> That's pretty strong. All right, that wasn't so bad. No. <laughs> Wait, yes. no, no problem. <laughs> okay, so let's talk a little bit about entrepreneurship. I know that usually in our alcove presentations, a lot of people are either toying with the idea of entrepreneurship or it's something that they're very interested by. Um, I watched a video where one of the co-founders of Atelier Regime was talking about your product, and he said the product is us, and it's our story. Um, Gildas. What's your story? Can you tell us a little bit about how you got involved in that new regime? Well, it goes back to 2011 or 2012. At the time, new regime was happening in my bedroom. So pretty much, um, Satiz and Koku were working from home. So they had our computer set up uh, next to my bunk bed. And I was in school, but I was watching them work every day. And I was really, like, I started, um, well... I fell in love with what they were doing. So I like the fact that they could have ideas, um, shoot them around, and then all of a sudden have a design, then print it, and have events, and then sell them. So I really just fell in love with that whole idea. And behind my brother's back, what I did was ask Sitsis if I could sell a few T-shirts. Mm -hmm. So I went to his house, got a duffel bag of T-shirts, um, went back to school, and sold tons of T-shirts. And from there, I saw that there was like, this was a product that was easy to sell, people liked it, and I was doing something that I liked. Why so, didn't you want to tell your brother? Because I was kind of the annoying little brother, <laughs> and I didn't want to ask him to ask the tease, was I allowed to participate? Because okay. I was kind of participating like by just attending meetings, because the meetings were right there in front of me. In but, your bedroom, yeah. in the bunk bed. <laughs> so my input wasn't asked, it was just pushed upon them. So that was my way to not bother my brother and just mm -hmm. ask the tease directly, which he said, yeah, for he sure. He was super open to it. Yeah. So that was one of the ways I got involved. And then a bit later... And how, how did your t-shirt selling business go? It was amazing. Like, I, I always have this number in my head, but every time Coco and Satya is like, that's not the number. So I say, <laughs> I sold about $3,000 that week, but that was not the case. So I sold a lot of clothes. And I remember it was, it was a good amount of money. So when I got back home... I would put it under the bed and like, yeah, I made this much and this much. So I sold a lot of T-shirts. Like till this day, I have people telling me, can they buy shirts the way I sold them the first time? Really? I'm like, no, now we're legit business. We have a store. Have a store. <laughs> and it's not 20 bucks anymore. Yeah. It's a bit more expensive than that. So, yeah. So this was about six years ago. Yeah. And then how did the transition happen between you like on the DL selling T-shirts and you becoming a part? Well, it was brand? a fresh fresh idea, like it was just starting out, right? So there was a lot of position that needed to be filled and a lot of things that needed to be done. And I just took it upon myself to learn how to do those things and filling those positions. So when it was time, for example, I think the first big assignment that I had was we had a lack of um, press coverage. Mm -hmm. So I remember Kosi, my big, my older brother, was like, get on Google and just make a list of all the blogs that you, could, you, should get, you guys should be featured on and email all of them and then get a press kit ready, uh, ready and just, you know, get out there and work. You're like a PR intern. Pretty much. That was my first, like, real task that was in selling T-shirts at, at school. So I did that very well, actually, and we started having, like, you know, it wasn't the 
write blogs per se, but we started having like a lot of blogs, like little blogs. Even if they weren't big, we had blogs from like everywhere posting about it. You thought there was interest. Exactly. So that was my first um, big assignment. And after that, I just literally took on all the tasks that I saw that needed to be done. So I took on like bookkeeping and a bunch of other stuff. And here you are today. Yeah. Um, so we've met a lot of entrepreneurs here at Alcove, and there's always two things that always come back. Um, they usually can't remember when they didn't think in a business sense. They started very young, selling comic books or selling T-shirts yeah. like you did. There's, it was always just kind of part of their DNA. And whenever we ask them to look back, they always say they regret nothing. That every experience that they had, they learned from. And yeah. this is something that I think you expressed when we spoke you know, before this interview. It was the same thing. You felt like you wouldn't change anything that happened in the past. Um, what is one thing with entrepreneurship that you find is true that most people would disagree with? Or that surprised you? I mean, I think nothing surprised me. It's just that the amount of time you're actually working is unbelievable. Yeah. Like, you're actually always working. When you're sleeping, you're working. When you wake up, first thing I do is think about work. I do nothing else. And nowadays, I read books, and they say, don't do that and do something else. But you can't. You cannot do it. It's like, it's part of who I am. And it's, that's the part, like, that's why I'm able to speak to you guys is because I have that mentality. So for certain people that think entrepreneurship is like, you know, 40 hours a week, 60 hours a week. They say it's 70 hours a week. I think it's way more than that. It's the whole week, the whole 24 hours of every day. So that's the part that's kind of hard to deal with. Like putting a difference between your personal life and work. When is leisure time and when, when's work? So Is it hard to see the difference between the two? For now, there's no, there's no difference. But I'm looking forward to maybe in a couple maybe of years. Maybe we can ask a... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Um, but that's something that you want to kind of learn to balance a little bit better in I mean, the it's a gift and a curse because up till now, that's the reason why I got, like, I'm so productive and I get a lot of stuff done. But on the, like, more personal side, it's, it's hard because it, it ruins relationships. You don't get mm -hmm. to see your niece as often because you're busy working and you think that day you're going to take off is wasting time. But in reality, mm -hmm. it's not wasting time because you're spending time with family. So it's, it's a battle to understand, like, have to see things a bit differently. Like that's what I'm working on right now. Like I'm going to Ottawa on the weekend. Okay, it's not wasting time. It's time well spent with my family. It's not just time it's away from investment. the business. Yeah, because that's how I see everything. Something that's not business related is a waste of time, and that's where like it gets really hard for me to just deal with. And because you guys are three, do you find it easier to have other people that you can share this experience with? Um, yes and no, because we all deal with it differently, right? Mm. And for example, Satiz has a kid, and he has like he has to spend time with his kid because there's a there's a child there that needs attention. So he has more time off to spend with his kid mm -hmm. compared to us, where we have literally nothing else than work. So we're at work all day, all night, and there's no there's nothing else that could tell us like okay, right right now you're supposed to change diapers, for example. Well, no, you're still you're working. Mm -hmm. So and. Because you guys are three, um, you know, there must be times when you obviously don't agree with each other. How do you manage those challenges? How do you get through those times? Well, it's pretty rare because we work with, um, it's like unanimous decision. So we're three. If yeah. two of them agree, 
the third one could be pissed all he wants, but the decision was, <laughs> the decision was made, so you just have to deal with it. And most of the time, we, we're very like-minded individuals, so we, mm-hmm. we get along and we figure it out. So what it's, are, it's not that hard, I believe. What are the different strengths? Because you obviously all bring something different to the table. Yeah. So Koku's the geek. <laughs> so he's the one that like, could sit behind the computer all day, all night, and like, learn how to use AutoCAD when he never used it the day before. And like, for example, we had to design our store when we, we signed our lease. And Koku's not an architect. He's not an interior designer. But at that time, he had to be an architect and an interior designer. So he downloaded the programs and after two, three days, we had a 3D of the, of the store, we had the, the floor plans and we had everything. So that's Koku's like number one strength. Satiz would be, he's really a people's person. Like he could get, he could come right here right now and be best friends with all of you. <laughs> and for me, it would probably be the fact that I'm very curious and that's why I actually got involved with the business is I want to know everything, and if I have a question, I'll find the answer no matter what. So I do a lot of Googles. <laughs> so yeah, that's my strength. There's a YouTube video for everything, pretty yeah, much. Yeah, literally. Okay. <laughs> um, so what part of your work, you said before, that you're great at a lot of things and you're terrible at not a lot of things. Um, what part of your work do you find makes you the most uncomfortable or that you find the most challenging, other than the balance of work-life? Well, depends. I don't know. It depends Actually, on the day. Well, it depends on the day, and it, like my my list of tasks is so broad that mm-hmm. like I'm not the best at all those things, right? And I'm not professional at any of those things. I just get through my day, learn, and ask questions, and you know, get better at it all the time. So uh, I don't really have delegating. Yeah, that's gonna be a tough one. <laughs> Um, so if we talk about business, I know that, you know, in the marketing world and in the branding world, and you guys are very keen on, on putting a lot of attention on branding, people talk about building a business culture. And you guys are small, but you do want to grow. Mm-hmm. Do you have a culture that's clearly communicatable? Well, clearly uh, communicatable, not yet, but it's something we're working on right now, like as we speak. Mm-hmm. Um, we had, like the, like, the whole beginning of the year was about that, pretty much. Because we all had this vision and all had this like feeling of what New Regime was, but we never like sat down and talked about it and wrote it down on paper. Mm-hmm. And we finally did that exercise, and it was it was really easy because that's exactly what every every one of us was thinking on the low. You guys were aligned. We, yeah, we were aligned in the vision. But then putting it on paper helps us now when we we have people coming in to really understand what it is instead of maybe Sitsi saying it in a, in a certain way and then Koku says it in a certain way. And I says it. I see it in a different way, mm-hmm. and we all mean the same thing. But putting it on paper and having like words that are clear helps. Let's see, having an intern that comes in. Well, this is what New Regime is. This is our mission. We want to inspire people to push their limits creatively, and so on and so on, and push the envelope. This this is what we're trying to do. But just having them come in and watch and not like they, you could feel it, mm-hmm. but it's not the same thing as if you like read it and it's on paper and like you could look back at it and really know what you're into. And would you say that the defining um, theme in that mission and those values is creativity? I think it's inspiring more than creativity. Okay. I think that creativity is the way we inspire, but what we want to do 
mainly is inspire other people to do better. Because that's what New Regime was to us, and that's what it brought like, um, to us. So let's say Cities has a particular story, and sharing that story might help somebody that was in that same position a couple years ago, understanding that, okay, there's a way out of that situation, and I could do this and I could do that. And for me, growing up, that's how I got like, a lot of education, is by reading or listening to interviews of other people and listening to, okay, this is this guy did this, and then this happened, and then that's, so there's like a, there's a path for me also. So I think it's really important to share that with other people, and that's why I accepted to talk today, and I did it the other week, and then we went to the Saw College. It's just spreading the word mm -hmm. so other people could catch, like even if it's just one person today that takes something out of this, well, that person will share it with somebody else also later. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I think and it's inspiring more than creativity. I think creativity is just the way we do it, and what we really want to do is just put some seeds in the world and let them grow and have people like do things and because is, they saw us do good. Is there a way that specifically linked to fashion you're doing that? You're inspiring people with your clothes? Well, our story is pretty much like we had no background whatsoever mm -hmm. in terms of fashion. Nobody studied it. Self-made. So yeah, I think in terms of what we do is you see this machine, but these are three guys that technically shouldn't be doing that. Mm. So I think that's the way fashion is linked to it because it's a pretty complicated business. Right. But if you show that three random dudes are able to do it from Montreal, then all of a sudden you give hope to other people that you could do it too. So you dropped out, but you ended up learning this whole business. Yeah. Um, what is something that you kind of wish you hadn't had to learn on the fly? Or has it been really smooth? It hasn't been smooth, but <laughs> is there something? I don't think so, because it's a different kind of learning experience. Mm -hmm. It's very different. And like the great example is my girlfriend just graduated from um, Concordia in, in marketing, well, GMSB. And she's like, I was kind of studying with her while she was in school. And she'll see things that she learned in school, but we're applying already. And mm. the, like it's a t totally different thing. So she's lucky because she could see it being applied. But if you just read it in a book and then you get to real life, and I don't, it's a different thing. Yeah. So yes, some of the mistakes were costly, um, time consuming, and so mm -hmm. on and so on. But I think what I learned through that process will never leave my brain versus if I read it in a book, it might just like, mm -hmm. if I don't apply it, might forget it. It's not but as impactful. Everything that I've learned is, is there and then stay. <laughs> um, it's funny because, you know, you said when you started out, you kind of focused a little bit on PR after you started selling yeah. um, T-shirts. And there's a quote that, you know, I worked in PR for 10 years and still do. There's a quote we always <laughs> refer to, which is Bill Gates. And he says, if I was down to my last dollar, I would spend it on PR, which we love because it helps us promote our business. Um, so you're, you're the self-professed business guy in the trio. If you only had a little bit of money left, what would you spend it on? Cuckoo. Why? Because I think he's, he has so much talent, and if we could get him comfortable, everything else will work out. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's really cute. Um, <laughs> Okay, let's that's the thing. I don't have any like particular skill, but this guy has with his two hands he could do anything he wants, right? So I understand that I understand my position in the company, 
And if there's money to be spent or somebody that has to be mm-hmm. pampered, this Koku. Koku has to be happy and everything has to be good for Koku. <laughs> <laughs> How does that make you feel? <laughs> um, so your first and only flagship right now is situated in uh, Saint-Henri en Notre-Dame. What was it like to work on building that store? I know that you worked with a firm from Montreal. Yeah. Um, was it important to you to have somebody from here work on that with you? Well, it just it just happened, really, okay. to be all the way honest. And it was, to answer the first question, it was hell. But it was amazing. <laughs> like, in terms of, like, what it took, what, where we were at the time, and, like, managing, let's say, the old office and mm-hmm. going at night to demolish the other space and, like I said, designing, um, doing every single aspect of it. Like these guys were showing up at night when there were like no cops and like yeah. breaking down the walls to redo the whole thing yeah. yourselves. Because that's the thing, we didn't just give our ideas to an interior designer and tell them, okay, this is what we want. No, we sat there and did the 3Ds with Koku, had all the, every single detail was, was thought, thought out and we had our, literally our blood in that store by breaking those walls and cutting wires and wires we shouldn't have cut and <laughs> pipes, water pipes that broke that shouldn't have broke because anyways, yeah. And so, you wouldn't trade it for the world. No. no. And I think it's important because as the more we grow, I think when we, you have other people coming in the business, you want to know like every aspect of the business to be able to understand like you can't have somebody, let's say, come in um, marketing, let's say, and you've never done marketing your, your whole life, so you're putting all your trust in them. So that's like, you kind of have to be able to explain to them what they're doing and really explain to them what New Regime is doing in that area already. So that's why I think it's important to like touch every bit of thing, even though, like I said before, I, I don't think I should, well, I shouldn't be doing that mm-hmm. in the next couple of years, but it's important at, at the, at the beginning to have touched every single thing. And then you really know your business. Like you haven't just designed, no, you've designed, you've sold the clothes, you, you've done the manufacturing, you've done every single thing. I wanna talk a little bit about that because you guys are in a transition right now. You're trying to grow the brand, you, you have expansion you know, that you're, you're striving towards. And you, all three of you seem to really focus on doing things yourself. Like you just explained, it really helps you understand the business kind of from a 360 perspective. But how do you make that transition between doing everything yourself to save money and because you kind of don't have a choice and growing your business in a way that's sustainable and not burning yourself out? Well, I think it's just, it's, well, it's really where we're at right now. So it's a lot of writing stuff down like cleaning up the business plan so somebody else could walk in, read the business plan and understand what's going on, what's our target market, who's our competitors, mm-hmm. like having it written down. So even for the store, how do you manage the store? So having a guideline for every aspect of it. Is so this now all- it's kind of like putting our knowledge in paper so we could just give it to people and then with that train them as well. But that's, that's the part that's really time consuming because it's kind of like, like I said before, mm. I'm a person that if it's not like productive, where I feel that it's not productive, I'm like, it's wasting my time. But now I understand that putting those things on paper will not be a waste of time once I have somebody that I could just share right. it with. And then all of a sudden, I just took a task off my plate and somebody else could do it better than me because now they're full-time doing that thing. So that's what you know and what you've learned in doing this business. Yeah. But what do you do when you don't have the answer? Is there anyone that you go to for advice? Well, I have my older brother, Kosi. 
that's my rock. Like, I'll ask him anything, and he's like me. His skill is that he'll find out anything. So if I don't have the answer, he doesn't have the answer, he'll act like he has the answer and figure it out and then come back to me. And What does yeah. he do for work? Um, right now, he's a cook, but the real, like, he's an entrepreneur, like, mm-hmm. to the fullest. He, so he's the one who started Benjamin Bros, which is actually the reason we're, we all got together because is pretty much Benjamin Bros was doing videos, logos, websites, MySpace, all that stuff back in, in the like, 2000, uh, early 2000s. And that's how Satis got to hear about Koku as a graphic mm-hmm. designer. So then he linked up with Koku and hired him as a graphic designer at first. And then I just bothered them enough so I could be a part of their project. Mm-hmm. Do you have, so you would say that is your brother your mentor? Um, definitely. Do you hope to have the opportunity to mentor other than through talks like this, but to mentor anyone? Yeah, I think it's, it's a responsibility you have to, to share your knowledge with others. Because like I said, if it wasn't for other people sharing their story, I wouldn't be here. Mm. So I have the, resp- the responsibility to share my story with as many people as possible. So, What kind of brands inspired you? Brands? It's actually funny, but this guy that's fucking up the world right now, Trump, <laughs> I read his book when I was really, really young. And there was a lot of things that inspired me about him. And it was like, he was saying how he was self-made and blah, blah. And he started off, at the time, I didn't realize Slash that. Slash, his father had a lot of money. Exactly, I didn't realize that. The first, <laughs> his first loan was a million dollars. Yeah, like, no big deal. But, like, the, the story itself was really, like, inspiring to me. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of things like that. Then I listened to a lot of tapes, like um, Les Brown, which is a motivational speaker. And he mm-hmm. talks about various subjects of athletes. There's a lot of things that I listen to or watch interviews. Like nowadays, I just want to learn as much as I can. So it doesn't have to be fashion related. It just has to be like life related. So if you have something to teach me about life, I'll watch it and take notes of what I learned from that and keep it. Do you have anything that you would recommend we all go home and watch or read? I think Les Brown is definitely, well, my girlfriend doesn't like him because he's, <laughs> he's kind of like loud and she thinks what he says is fake. But the thing is, his message is still really, really good. So I think Les Brown, he has really good tapes. And the other book I finished reading recently was Outliers. And I think that's a great book for everybody to read because it really like kind of like analyzes the success story of many entrepreneurs or mm-hmm. successful people in general and pinpoints why they're successful and explains why it's not just this thing where while you worked really, really hard and you became successful, you know, there's reasons why people succeed. And, like, just he goes deep into that. And I think understanding that also helps you, like, understand where you're at in life and mm-hmm. to understand who's around you and, like, their importance and why you are who you are. is not just because you are, you think you're great at what you do. There's, like, multiple reasons why you're there. Um, so, you know, there are some entrepreneurs here. What would you tell someone who's launching a business, would you tell them that it's important to build a business plan or do you just start doing? I think it's important to be passionate. Mm. That's really what it is. Even if you want to be a plumber, let's say, you have to be passionate about solving people's problems with like plumbing. So if that's your passion, you're going to be a great entrepreneur. If you're just trying to make money off of being a plumber, then you might not, like if when things get rough, you need money, you need financing, you need to like go over, um, what's it called? If there are hurdles in the way, mm-hmm. you might give up. But if you have passion about what you do, I think that's, that's the first step. Do something that you're really passionate about. What's the area in your work that you're most passionate about? 
bringing ideas to life. I would say that's what I like to do. So whatever it is, like my, I still get really excited when I see a mock-up and then you know, we go through production, blah, 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 and then you see this. Now it's in real life, you see somebody wearing it, it's like it was this idea that was in our, our heads and now it's, it's reality. So every time, no matter how many shirts we're gonna make, I think I'll always be excited about like, bringing that idea to life. Same thing when it was, it just talks about the store and then every day you walk in the store and you're like, shit, we really did this. Like, there's actually a story, it wasn't just like talks. So I think bringing ideas to life is the most exciting part. And we talked a little bit about this when we spoke earlier. You guys have one store right now, but you do hope to open more. There is a shift right now where you know people like Amazon are opening brick and mortar stores and a lot of people that have stores are focusing more on online. What is the importance of having a physical place for you guys? Well, the, I think the first thing was to understand that even though like there's a lot of reports that say retail is dying and, and mm -hmm. so on and so on, but there's different re reasons why certain retailers are dying. Maybe it's because they're not understanding that the scope of like the business they're in right now. Right. So, for example, for us, the, the store is not it's not just a store. It's um, an extension of our brand. So it allows our customer to come in and feel the brand for what it is, instead of let's say going to a to a wholesaler where mm -hmm. the wholesaler doesn't have all the tools or it doesn't have all the knowledge to present the clothes the way we want it to. And he's not going to invest in making that section all mm -hmm. orange and, you know, helping the customer the way we want it. We want, we want him to be helped. So I think it's really like an extension of our brand and understanding that, and especially in Canada, people shop online and they shop in store, but they use those channels mm -hmm. for different reasons. And then they might look at your stuff online and purchase in store. They might come in store to feel it, but then shop online. They so want I think, a seamless experience. So if you just see that, this is a store supposed to make me millions, well, you might be doing the wrong thing for opening a store, but if you understand that the store is there to help your customer and help them like really understand your brand, and mm -hmm. yes, it generates sales, obviously, but that's not the only purpose. So in the store, what is that experience that you're trying to convey? Well. What do you want people to feel? Our store is very different in the way it's like set up. Like, you rarely walk into a place that's all orange and that you can't see from the outside. So it's just like, aesthetically, we wanted to have something really simple, but yet very powerful. And with that orange everywhere, that was, that's how we achieved it. So when somebody walks in, it's like, a, and first of all, we're not, we're not up, we don't have a salesperson upstairs. So we're in the basement and we have a camera. So when somebody walks in, it's like a social experiment for the first two minutes. So they're just walking around. And they're like freaking they're out because really there's no one there. In. Yeah, they're, so they're paying attention to the details and just looking around. And then we walk So if you in. think no one's watching, <laughs> they're actually downstairs. And then, and then we walk up to the cash. So there's like this moment where you have to like, God damn, like you have, you have time to appreciate it and like get punched in the face. Like, what is this? What is this thing? Mm. And what's, do they walk away feeling inspired? That's what you hope? I hope they do. Some of them I talk to, and I know it, it's true, but mm -hmm. some people might underst not understand it either, because you have, you have the, like, there's different types of people that walk in. There's the curious people, there's the people that are there for a specific reason, so they saw the pictures online and they're like, I wanted to see this orange store, there's a regular customer, and then there's the random people just walking on the street. Usually, the randoms on the street just walk in and they're like, what the fuck, and then they leave. <laughs> <laughs> but the people that, like, you know, there's a certain kind of person that pushes an orange door without knowing what's inside, right? And those people are usually, like, very curious and they appreciate the details and they appreciate, like, the artistry that went into 
putting that story together. Mm. You guys are in a great area too because it's a very creative spot. It's booming. Yeah. So, um, you know, you talk about all of this creativity that goes into like the brand and how it has to be really specific. Tell us how this orange idea came to life. So like I was saying earlier, the orange story is not that as exciting as people expect it to be. It's pretty much so that we had, the original color was red. So the red was established and we started using it for tags, logos, and, and so on. And with a bit of research, we realized that Supreme is orange, Obey is orange, and a lot of brands use uh, pardon, uh, red. Mm. So a lot of um, a lot of brands use red already. Right. So for us, it's always about being different and like standing out. So we just said, why not use a different color that not not a lot of people are using, and we're going to be able to like really do this color branding and uh, like get in people's mind with this color. Because if I do red, well, you could think about so many other brands that <coughs> are thinking mm-hmm. about red. So it was like an untapped color, and that allowed us to to differentiate ourselves with orange. And do you feel like you've achieved the notoriety that you want to in the city of Montreal? I think we're still working at it. And like personally, I'm not a person that's easily satisfied, so I think this is just the beginning, and there's much, much more to come. And, and you- I, even when that comes, I probably won't feel like mm. it's, it's, the right <laughs> it's the right place yet. So yeah, I don't think we have the right notoriety or like a... Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, you said that you want to grow and you want to expand. What do you think that New Regime can bring to the rest of the world that's not already there? Does it have something to do with Montreal or does it really have more to do with what you guys represent? I think it has to do with what we represent because our, our goal is to, to really share the story. Like, like he said, since he said in that interview is, the product is ourself, and you know, we 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 sell this, we sell clothes, but really what we're selling is our story. So we want to bring that story mm-hmm. everywhere else in the world. So opening a store is not just bringing retail to another city; it's bringing right. the new regime story to that to that city and allowing people to interact with 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 us and whoever's going to be in those stores and really understand what we represent, our values, and what we're trying to are trying to promote. And I think that given right now the Climate, I think it's especially important for you guys to get out there and tell your story and to inspire the youth. If we talk a bit about um, diversity, because this is obviously uh, Black History Month, you know, you guys talk about in a lot of interviews about creating social awareness uh, of issues through fashion um, and that you want to affect change in the community. Do you feel like you've been able to affect change so far? Not to the level we want to, but I think little by little it, it, it's happening and we're doing, we're working on more things in that direction. Mm-hmm. So um, maybe a good example would be the, um, what's it called? The fashion show we did at um, Festival Mode Design. Mm-hmm. So that was really just, a, that was a message that we wanted yeah. to put out there to the world and we wanted people to react to it, react to it the way they wanted to react to it. Mm-hmm. But it was just like, I was in a space where I felt like entrepreneurship gave me so much in my life. And I wanted to like share certain ideas that I had. So the orange jumpsuit was representing like a prison. Mm-hmm. And then the working class. So I felt like being a part of the working class, you might feel like imprisoned. So you work very hard 
you feed your children, you go to, like, there's kind of this routine right. and reputation in your life. And I wanted to show that, well, there's, you have to kind of like, even if you're not, not everybody can like be an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. And I don't think everybody's meant to be an entrepreneur. But if you could look at where you are and see that, okay, maybe this kind of lifestyle is not the best, but at least outside of that, I should be doing things that I like. So let's get out of this prison and do other things also to make myself happy and not just be a part of society and this like ongoing thing it's kind of like the work to live versus live to work. Yeah. So I think these little things help um, like share our message and right. why not. And if I look at you know your brand and, and the lookbooks that you've done, there is quite a bit of diversity in your models that you use. Is that an important part of your brand? Or did that just, you didn't even really think about I it? I think it just happens. Like we mm. just, when we like something, we just like it. So there's not a process of, well, this person should be Asian, so let's pick an Asian person. And this time, like, you know, because sometimes you feel that, let's say when you see a campaign of Dolce Gabbana and they're really trying, they have every single culture in there. <laughs> but for us, it's just what we like. So if that person has the look, they have the look and there's no like second thought or well, we should use a black person or we should use okay. that's how we feel creatively. This person fits the look we're trying to go for, so be it. It can be orange if you want. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, so let's talk specifically about New Regime. Y you know, what do you want? A as you expand, you have to think about who your customer is, right? And we talked about this a little bit before. Who is that person? Um, you're going to have to take a more business perspective and learn to do, you know, kind of uh, market research and mm -hmm. all of that. How are you guys transitioning to that right now? Well, like I said earlier, when we were speaking, I'm lucky enough that, like, New Regime is a big family, and we usually right. look to our friends and family first when, like, looking to, to fill positions. Mm -hmm. So right now I'm lucky enough that I have a girlfriend that just finished, like, the marketing and, and, and um, thing, and she's doing all that, that legwork. So let's say for the business plan, well, I'll give her basic guidelines, but she has access to so much knowledge she acquired over the years right. to really put a real business plan versus what I would do on my own Googling how to make a business plan. So, yeah, and I think hiring people that have that knowledge, because that's the thing with entrepreneurship, you might not, if you didn't go to school in it, you, don't, you might not have that like technical knowledge, mm -hmm. you kind of have like an over, overview, but hiring people that actually studied it and had um, what's it called? experience in those fields yeah. is what's gonna make the difference. Um, if we talk about collaborations, you guys have had some really interesting things come up in the last uh, couple of years. Tell about, like, tell us about that process with Lugs. Um, so Lugs was kind of a special case. Mm -hmm. We just got a phone call one day, and the person said, "Do you guys want to collaborate with Lugs?" And we said, "Well, at first we were like, I feel like that's every brand's Citi's, Citi's dream." Got, Citi's got the call. He called us, and we're like, "Let's think about it." And then we all went, like, why are we thinking about this? Like, lugs, <laughs> and not just in terms of, like, because the lugs thing was really, like, um, um, something close to the heart. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't about just, like, making shoes and making a lot of money. It was, like, we grew up on lugs, like, Birdman's lugs, and, like, mm -hmm. you know, it was a certain area where we didn't think we would ever get a call to make a boot with lugs. So for us, it was, like, hey, man, this is on the table. Even, even though Lugs is not cool right now, it means a lot to us, and it like, represents our, um, our path, so we said, let's do it. 
and it was it was something we really like did with passion because I used to ask my mom, can I can you buy me those lugs? And I told my mom I made lugs with I made lugs <laughs> with lugs. Was she super proud? I don't think she remembered lugs as well. <laughs> I thought she would be more excited, but she didn't really remember lugs as much. But yeah, she was. But it she meant was something cool. to you. Yeah, it was kind of. It's still a big thing. Like we made boots. I make. We used to make T-shirts. And now jackets and all that. Yeah. Boots. <laughs> There's something really like people think that fashion is so glamorous, and it really. It just. It takes a long time before you get to that point. And I think, you know, you were telling me that a lot of the money that you guys are making, you're reinvesting in the business. You're trying to you know, grow it as sustainably as possible. Is there that moment where you feel like, okay, we've made it? Like, what, was that the store? Was it a collaboration like Lugs? Is there that moment? I know you said you're hard to satisfy, but. I don't think it happened yet, okay. but I think the, the store was definitely like one of those milestones. Those, uh, milestones. Mm-hmm. Like, like yesterday I was walking down the store and my, with my friend and I looked back at the sign and I'm like, you have a store on the street. Yeah. So it's always, it's a big accomplishment in terms of like, what it is. Like, people could walk in that store every day, like I walk in other stores. So, that was something really big. But do I think it, like, represents our success or, like, it's what we sh- No, there's much more to come. But that was, that was an amazing feeling, opening that store. Um, I saw that, you know, there's hometown heroes. There's a big uh, theme in, in your jackets. Do you have any hometown heroes? Or was that just a catchy? Well, it was kind of the hometown heroes. It was kind of us. So it wasn't like, not to brag or anything. But was, <laughs> like, we didn't make the shirt thinking about um, this guy is going to wear it and he's going to like, P.K. Subban is going to wear it and he's the hometown hero. Like he belongs to him. Mm-hmm. It was us and we wanted other people to, 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 to um, how would I say this? You were, it was a proud moment. Yeah, but it wasn't like an arrogant thing. It was just like you weren't trying to be fresh. Yeah, <laughs> we just like we those words been resonating with us for a while, and then we said let's make a jacket, and then people that that can relate to it could wear it, and and so on and so on. And hometown heroes wasn't just like it was entrepreneurs, um, people that work, and people that make a difference, really. Well, I think that it's we can definitely say that you guys are in the hometown heroes, and you have made a difference just by looking at how many people are here tonight. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being uh, candid.